All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now in this episode, I chat with actor Aaron Chambers about Don't Look Under the Bed, Disney, spirituality, the stage, tough roles, and more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you'd like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Take us back in time. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? Oh, I, I think I'd have to say I was all of the above. <laughs> Did you have a genre that you leaned towards when you read? You know, I think the only fantasy that I got into as a kid was Madeline Ingalls' A Wrinkle in Time. But to be honest, I can't even quite remember the book. I just remember really liking it. I want to say, like, the books that I read as a kid were very much geared towards young girls. Like, I was really into Little House on the Prairie books because I watched the show, too, with my family because right. it was a show my parents grew up on. And then I was also really into Anne of Green Gables, Anne of Avonlea, all of those books. And, of course, Beverly Clearly's. So I, that's what I remember the, reading the most. I don't think I started reading fantasy until I was a little bit older. I think troublemaking in terms of, like, just – I wasn't intentionally trying to, like, destroy property, <laughs> but maybe I did, like – unbeknownst to myself while I was having fun with friends and my sisters, you know, mm, like, gotcha. oh, I trampled on this person's flowers. Oops, I'm sorry. Like, things <laughs> like that, you know. I, I wasn't intentionally, like, leaving my house on my bike going, I'm going to I'm gonna mess someone up real bad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what about your parents? Were they involved in the business at all? No, no. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. My dad was a CPA, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but was also an interior designer. Mm. So they really had no connections to the business, the industry at all. I, I actually lived in two different suburbs of Portland. So I was born and started out my life in Beaverton, which is a suburb of Portland. And then when I was about 11, we moved to Lake Oswego, which is just another suburb of Portland. So when you when it comes to music that you grew up on, you know what records were spinning around the house? Did you play any instruments? Yeah, I did. Actually, I, I grew up playing the piano. I tried the violin, but I was not 
it was not for me. I did not like it, but I did play the piano for a long time. I want to say I started playing piano when I was maybe five or six until I was about, I mean, I still play, but I think I stopped taking lessons when I was around 15. Well, as a little kid, you know, you're kind of just at the mercy of your parents and what your parents play. Yeah. <laughs> I have memories of my dad playing Karen Carpenter, Helen Reddy. Oh, there was another gal that was big back then that I can't think of. And I, rem I remember actually my dad taking me and my sister to a Helen Reddy concert. If you don't know who she is, she was Nora in A Pete's Dragon. A great voice. And I had this memory, I, I wanna say I was like five or six of going to this outdoor concert with my dad and my sister and thinking like, this is so cool. This is what adults do. They go and have fun and listen to music and hang out together. This is really fun. But as I got older, like I still have memories of like walking to, was it Tower Records? There was some kind of like music store in my town. I can't remember the exact name, but I want to say it was Tower Records and buying a single of Roxette, a single of Red Hot Chili Peppers, discovering the Beatles for the first time. And then having that kind of just evolve into like other music that I listen to as a teenager, an angsty teenager. <laughs> what about when you think back to formative films and TV shows that you grew up on? What comes, what's the first ones that come to mind? I have such great memories of watching Pee-wee's Big Adventure with my sisters. <laughs> we love that movie so much. We watched it over and over again. I want to say I have a lot of it memorized. And at one point we even put on the play version of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. We loved it so much. But we also love Star Wars. I'm trying to think of some of the movies that we love that we watched growing up together. Oh, The Burbs. I don't know why, but we watched The Burbs so much. We loved that movie with Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher. Yeah, that's what comes to mind. I mean, we watched a lot of TV too, but that's kind of escaping me actually for the moment. I can't think of, of TV that we watched as kids. Probably Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> oh yeah, you did mention that. That's a good one. But my mom called it Little House on the Poopy. And I was like, why do you call it that? She's like, because it sounds funny. <laughs> so we something poopy. What about the first movie you saw in theaters? Do you remember that? Oh, yes, I do. Well, I could have maybe seen something before this, but because I can't imagine that my first movie in the theater was when I was 10. But the first movie that I remember seeing in the theater that left a huge impact on me was The Little Mermaid. I think I was nine, almost 10, because that came out in 89 and I was born in 79. So I had to have been nine, almost 10 when I, came, when I saw that. And I was just like, wow, I loved it. That's a good one. This is something I like to ask everyone now. What scared you as a kid? This might explain why I still have a fear of birds, but I remember my mom showing us Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds when I was probably too young to That'll watch that movie. <laughs> so, you know, just a group of birds kind of terrified me a lot and still continues to. But when you say like things that scare me, things from movies or just things in general? In general, just as a kid, you know, monster under the bed or in the closet or dark. <laughs> monster under the bed for sure. Like as a kid, I would stand like maybe a foot or so away from my bed and then do like a deep dive into it so that just in case I was standing really close to the, to the bottom of it, like someone couldn't grab my ankles and pull me under. <laughs> Same with getting out of the bed too. I would, I would make sure I had a big far step away from my bed, getting out of it. You can't yeah. hang your feet out from under the covers either. No, no, no. So I think that's why, you know, I did this film called Don't Look Under the Bed. And I think in that, that movie kind of resonated with me a little bit. There's some shots of like my brother getting pulled under, like you see the hands come out and grab it. And I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That scared me a lot as a kid, that feeling, that sense of like something's under there and it's going to take me. Agreed. Me too. So at what age do you begin to have interest in theater and drama in general? Well, 
I think I was around maybe th- two or three, and my parents noticed that I could sing on pitch, like on key. Obviously, I didn't start performing then, but they were like, oh, we've got a little singer. And I think I think when I started piano lessons, my teacher noticed, oh, you can sing. Do you like to sing? And I was like, yeah, I love to sing. And so half of my time would be singing with her. Like she would play songs and introduce me to some really random songs that most, you know, five-year-olds probably don't hear. Things like I've Got Rhythm or Strike Up the Band. It's like, because she was, you know, an older woman. (laughs) She needed singing and performing. And I want to say what really got me into it was in second grade, I ended up trying out for the local high schools, The King and I. Mm. And I got cast as like a, a royal child in that show. And I loved it. I loved being on stage. I loved performing and singing. And then after that, I just kind of continued to audition for more and more things. I ended up singing the national anthem at the Blazer Games growing up. Wow. I think I did that four times. And so I just, like a lot of my youth, while I still had like a very carefree, fun childhood, like I remember riding my bike around my neighborhood all the time, but I was also performing at the same time. Like I think it was a, a decent balance of pursuing things I loved and then also just being a kid and having fun. I did theater all through high school and then I ended up getting my BFA in acting in college. And I so I obviously did plays in college. So when I was in college, I ended up auditioning for this Disney Channel movie called Don't Look Under the Bed. And when I auditioned for it, I auditioned for a small role in it. I auditioned to play like a supporting character, the imaginary friend that the main character lost her belief in. And so when I read for it, the casting director was like, oh, I actually think I think you should play the lead. And the lead originally was like 12 years old and I'm 19 at the time. And I looked young, but it was a little bit of a stretch. And he's like, I still want you to read for the producers. So you're going to get a call back. And so when I read for the producers, they were like, oh, wow, Like they really liked me. They liked me so much that I had multiple callbacks. And then at one point they flew me to Los Angeles. You know, I, I was living in Utah at the time going to school. So it was a big deal. I was like, oh, my gosh, what, what's happening? I'm flying to Los Angeles and reading for executives. <laughs> like this was my first experience in, into the world of Hollywood. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was right. very cool and exciting and thrilling, but also kind of scary. I ended up getting the part of the lead and they changed the age too. <laughs> they, they made her 14, not 12. <laughs> <laughs> and. I just had the time of my life shooting that. I loved my director, Kenny Johnston. You know, he's been around for a long time. He did did, um, Six Million Dollar Man and Mm -hmm. the miniseries V. I mean, he's kind of a legend. And I got to work with incredible producers that were kind and lovely and really just made me feel confident that I could have it as a career. Because I think at this point, you know, I'm just a college student going to school. I'm studying theater. I'm studying acting. But I didn't really think... Oh, I could do this as a career. Like this could be my livelihood. And then when I got that role, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I could do this really for a job. It was kind of my first experience. And thank goodness it was a lovely one because I really, really just had the time of my life shooting that movie. I love my co-star, Ty Hodges. We we had so much fun together. And I grew a lot as an artist and learned how to act on camera. Because I really had, I mean, I had like a couple of small parts. Mm. for film and TV, but this was like a huge deal. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was your first time on screen. Was that my first time on screen, but it was my first time carrying something. And it gave me so much confidence. And it was just an incredible opportunity. I love, I mean, I, I, it's like, and even that character too, Frances, a part of her still lives in my heart. I just loved her. I loved playing her. That's good to hear because I love that movie. My sisters and I, I was a little bit, I was the older brother, so I was, you know, watching it with my little sisters, but I loved the movie too, so. Did it scare you when you watched it? I don't, it didn't scare me, it scared her. I I just enjoyed the movie. 
Okay. What year did you it come know, out? Well, we shot it in 90, I think it came out in 99. We shot it in the spring and then it came out, I want to say that following October for Halloween. Yeah, I was 11 then and my sister was six. So I was a little bit older. Okay. So yeah. It was a big deal at the time because it was kind of scary for mm -hmm. Disney Channel. And so when it came out, you know, that at that time and then even years later, even now, like people will recognize me from it and they'll be like, that movie scared me so bad. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry we scared you. <laughs> That's what it's there for, you know? <laughs> what it's there for. You know, it's like, it's kind of like the perfect, because, you know, kids want to be scared to a certain degree. They like, it's, you know, scary things are kind of exciting and thrilling. Yeah, but, it's, it's but, you fun know, to be scared. Don't be, it's fun to be scared, but you don't want to be too scary. You know, there's like that fine line. And I think the movie really hit that line nicely. You know, it's for the Disney Channel. Did you have that childlike awe when you were growing up for Disney? Was it kind of weird for you to be working for Disney? Oh, yeah. I really actually wanted to audition for the Mickey Mouse Club as a kid because that was one that was a show I watched as a kid. My parents were like, no, no, absolutely not. You're not auditioning for that. And I think they even did like I think when they were auditioning kids, they were going around the country and doing like stops along the way. And so I knew they were coming to town and I, I begged my parents and they were like they considered it. And then they were like, no, we don't we don't want that for you. We don't think that's a good thing for you and looking back i'm really glad they made that decision for me because like i said i i had opportunities to perform and then still had the opportunity to be a normal kid and i'm glad i got that that's good because you don't always hear great stories from kids that break into the business you know i think if you have parents that are loving and supportive and have the best intentions for you your chances of coming out of that a normal adult is high <laughs> so and i did have great parents but i still think they were just like no we're not gonna do that <laughs> That movie kind of disappeared for years, it seemed like. You couldn't find it on DVD or VHS or anything growing up. But then, you know, Disney Plus comes around and boom. Did you did you see an uptick in interest or, I guess, request or anything like that? When it came that to Disney Plus, maybe I, I felt a little bit more... Um like, oh, people were recognizing me from from it. But yeah, you're right. It did kind of disappear for a little while and it was hard to find. Because I remember looking for it a lot for me and my sisters and you just had to wait until Halloween time when Disney Channel would put it up. I think for a long time, Disney just felt like it was too scary. It was too intense. And and I think also, if I remember correctly, because I remember talking to Kenny Johnson about this, parents were writing in saying, this is too scary. Why is this available? This shouldn't be on your on your channel wow. and so it was old because parents were so like ah, so upset about it Jeez. So i mean the makeup was pretty the makeup was good so i can see yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, i recently watched it with my kids i think i showed it to them when they were maybe four and six and it's so interesting because i i kind of was thinking oh they're going to be so scared of the boogeyman this is going to be too scary and they were so just like oh didn't affect them at all which i think says a lot like kids today are being exposed to just more and more things i mean as, as much as like my husband and i try our best to like protect them and keep them innocent it's just different there's just more things available and it didn't surprise me that they <laughs> that they weren't but then my son begged me to watch Jurassic Park. Oh, which is just begging us nonstop. I really want to watch Jurassic Park. And we're like, I just don't know, honey. You're like, you're so young. You're so little. And so we're like, well, we'll give it a try. And so we started watching it with them. And as soon as the lawyer gets eaten, he said, so matter of factly, he's like, I'm done now. <laughs> and I was like, I'm really proud of you, buddy. I'm proud that you, you, you recognize that this movie is too much for you. And so we stopped. <laughs> <laughs> It just ticked all the boxes, you know. Could you relate to your character, Franny, a lot? Or did you have imaginary friends growing up? <laughs> I did not have imaginary friends. 
And that might just be because I was the oldest of four girls. And so there was always someone around to play with. The sister underneath me and I were really close growing up. So I didn't have imaginary friends. But I think I related to her in a way, you know, all kids, all teenagers go through this experience with their parents where they just feel at odds with their parents. And she's at odds with her parents the whole movie. They don't believe her. They keep like gaslighting her, you know? And so I related to that feeling stuck, feeling like here I am experiencing something and no one seems to be on my side. No one seems to see my point of view. And that hit a nerve for me. And I feel like that was, I felt like that was a way that my, that that me, Aaron was able to connect with Francis. So I don't watch soaps myself, but uh, I'm just interested in their shooting, (laughs) shooting and schedule style. You know, it just fascinates me. You did a lot of episodes of General Hospital. Would you say that recording and working on a soap is more akin to the stage than your typical television job? Oh, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I mean, soap operas are so different from normal episodic TV because you shoot multiple episodes a week. The most I shot in one week might have been five, maybe seven. I can't remember. And you're getting all of your dialogue the night before. And it's just more dialogue than I've ever had on a television show. Like, and for me, I don't know why, I don't know why they did this to my character, but... You know, I had a wonderful experience on General Hospital. I really loved it. I played an Irish gal who was Lucky Spencer's wife from Ireland. They met in Ireland and then he brought her back to Port Charles. And so, you know, I'm doing an Irish accent the whole time I'm on the show, which, you know, it's that can become exhausting to always kind of be in that mindset of like, oh, I've got to, you know, keep the accent going. And then on top of it, I would have like pages and pages of monologues, too. (laughs) So it just felt like a war. I was exhausted at the end of every shoot day, even though my my shooting days were shorter than the normal episodics. You know, normal episodics, you know, like say an episode of, I'm trying to think what was the last one I did. Like I just did Bosch Legacy. Those kinds of shows, you'll be on set for at least 12 hours. You know, like your call time is like seven in the morning and sometimes you get wrapped around seven, but sometimes you'll stay until 10. You know, it's just a very long shoot day. Whereas with General Hospital, I want to say my call times were around seven and I was done by three, five wow. at the very latest. So it was really nice kind of knowing I'm not going to be here late into the night. This just that wasn't how we shot. It was very fast. You know, you get one rehearsal and one shoot take, one take. And unless you like royally mess up, you move on. So it was good for me because I think as an actor, I I get so used to like rehearsing and trying new ways and doing new things. And, you know, I I tend to kind of overanalyze and overthink things. And so it was a really good exercise for me to like do it and move on. Mm, It's very hard to do it and then move on, especially for my for my (laughs) person, my personality. So it was good exercise. This is a question I like to ask all actors because uh, I hear the term method acting thrown around a lot. And I feel like it's kind of sort of become muddled. And if you ask an actor what their method is, you're going to get a different answer each time. So, Aaron, what's your method? It's a great question. My method changes. It depends on the role. It depends on the project. It depends on how connected I am to that character. Like some characters feel like I just slip into it really easily. And others take a little bit more work. I would not say I'm a method actor. A method actor would have stayed doing an Irish accent all the time on set, like in the makeup room when I was doing General Hospital. And that wasn't me. I only did the accent when I was on camera or during rehearsals. So yeah, I think it really depends on the role. And I don't know if you've heard terms like, you know, sense memory or imagination. You know, sometimes sometimes actors will imagine themselves in this role. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes actors will draw upon their own experiences in a role to help create the character. And there's really no one way because... I kind of just use a combination of whatever I need to get to that spot. 
hope that makes sense. It does, yeah. But when it comes to maybe things that won't make it on the screen, like maybe making a journal for your character or something like that, do you do anything like that? Yeah, I've done that before. Well, and sometimes, you know, depending on the project, you'll get a lot of information about your character. Mm. And sometimes you don't have to do as much work because you're the lead and there's a lot of backstory that's made accessible to you. And not that I'm saying you do less work, but there's more information available. When there's not as much information available, you really have to create that for yourself so that it becomes a very real character to you. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times in auditions, I'll come up with some crazy scenarios when I only have three pages because I've got to make this character feel real. So it's like, what was she doing before this? How did she grow up? Did she come from a stable family or a non-stable family? Did she go to college or no? Like you have to create a, a story in your own head so that when you do the character, it's believable and you can sell it. So what's the coolest prop that you've kept from a project you've worked on? Oh my gosh. Have I even kept a prop? I've kept wardrobe. Oh, I got to think for a second. I don't think I've kept any prop. That makes me actually really sad. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever thought to ask for a prop. I think I've asked for wardrobe and I've gotten wardrobe from projects, but not a prop. I'm like looking around my room. I'm like, is there anything in here? No. You got to get I've something the next time you work. Yeah, now I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to make a mission. I got to keep something. <laughs> So, uh, Aaron, out of all the projects you've worked on, you know, stage, screen, whatever, what would you consider the most challenging? Is it one you lost sleep over? The most challenging. Hmm. You know, I shot a film in Oklahoma in 2010 with Mike Vogel and Taryn Manning, and it was based on a true story. And I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Heaven's Rain. I haven't. Okay. So Brooks Douglas wrote wrote it, produced it, didn't direct it. And it was based on his story. He grew up in this very small town in Oklahoma. And one night these drifters came in and raped and murdered his sister and then murdered his parents. And they shot him and left him for dead. But he and his sister, sorry, I misspoke. They raped his sister and attempted to kill everybody. His parents died, but he and his sister survived. And years later, he wrote this story about this. It's actually so incredible because he ends up going to the prison and confronting one of the men that killed his parents and basically showing them forgive showing him forgiveness and it's just like it's just an incredible story it's almost like hard to wrap your mind around so i played a reporter in the movie that is trying to get basically a story about brooks's character who mike vogel played and that was just a challenging movie it was challenging because you know a lot of times when you're when you're telling these stories and you're doing film and tv it, it's None of it's real. None of it's based on anything real. And it can certainly feel real. But this was based on a real story, you know, and Brooks was there on set and his sister was there on set. And it's just, it was heavy. It was a really, really heavy set. And one day we had scenes to shoot at the prison, uh, the McAllister prison. And I remember walking into the prison for, our sh for the day. I think we shot maybe two days interior and then a couple days exterior. And I just felt like this cloud of heaviness and and, and quite honestly, just like evil. It felt evil to me to be in there. And I remember telling the director, I was like, I I'm having a really hard time being inside this prison. I'm not going to lie. And he's like, please use it. Use that feeling. Use that feeling of, of uncomfortability and use that in your work today. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it just felt so challenging and that it was hard. It was hard to be on that set and to be working and to immerse myself in it. And then also like kind of shed it at the end of the day. 
you know, because you try to do that. You need to do that as an actor or or you can get into a really dark, heavy place that's hard to come out of. So I would say that was probably the most challenging role. What was the name of that movie? Heaven's Rain. I want to say I did it at the beginning of 2010. Right. Yeah, yeah. check it out. I don't know. It, you know, it was an independent film and I don't really know what kind of exposure it got. But if you can watch it, I, I highly recommend it. It's just a very sad but still moving story. What's the best acting advice you've received and who gave it to you? Oh, that's a great question. Best acting advice. I remember an acting teacher once told me to always have a secret every character you play. And I've always liked that. And I try to do that. I don't always remember that with each character. You know, sometimes when you're just there, like on a show for a day, it's hard to remember. Oh, and then what's my secret? (laughs) (laughs) But I always thought that was kind of fun and kind of gave like, you know, a sense of mystery to each performance. You know, kept people guessing. Yeah, I can't think of anything like super profound that has stuck with me. But I will say I've always learned like I feel like every experience I learn something and and grow as an artist. He didn't tell me advice, but I once worked with Dick Van Dyke, who I just love and adore. Like I've always loved him. I grew up on Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And so then when I booked this role to be in this project with him, I was just like over the moon excited. And I remember being on set and we were in between takes and he's just standing there. He kind of starts smiling. And then he just starts like shuffling his feet and he starts basically tap dancing, but not, you know, he's not wearing tap shoes. He's just like doing like a shuffle ball change and just kind of like moving around. And I was like, this man is delightful. He's just always having fun. Even when the cameras aren't rolling, he's like spreading joy. And I, it's always stuck with me. I'm like, yeah, we should be having fun. This is a fun job that we get to do. We get to come and play and have a great time. And even Dick Van Dyke pushing, I think he was like in his 80s at this point is having a great time. Yeah, I think he's still working, is he not? I think he's working on General Hospital right now, right? Yes, you know, I actually read that recently and I was like, oh my gosh, why couldn't he have been on General Hospital when I was on General Hospital? (laughs) He's adorable. He's like 90 something now and still goes to the gym. And he's just a wonderful man. Like I remember when I was done for the day, I came up to him and I was like, excuse me, I brought my copies of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Mary Poppins. And I'm just wondering if, you could sign them for me. And he took my Sharpie and he looked at me and he said, it would be my honor. <laughs> he went to his trailer to do it. Like he wasn't going to stand there and do it. He took he took my DVDs, went into his trailer, shut the door, sweet notes, and then came out and handed it back to me. And I was like, you are a class act. <laughs> What's a location that you've shot on that sticks out to you? You know, a cool one that you've been on that you'd like to go back to? Oh, well, I was really lucky. I got to shoot an independent film in Austria. I got to explore and experience Austria. And, you know, it's funny when I booked the job, my husband went with me and we decided, well, let's do like a little European vacation when we're done. And so we made plans to go to Italy and France after and thinking and not thinking that like, oh, we we won't be interested in Austria because we will have been there for three weeks shooting. But just I didn't really think much of it. Well, we get to Austria and Austria is lovely. The people are lovely. The food is amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. And then towards the end, I was like, I didn't really get to enjoy it. I was working in it, which is still awesome. But like, I didn't really get to be a tourist. I didn't get to go on the Sound of Music tour. I didn't get to do all these things that I wanted to do because I was so busy shooting. And I think like the few off days I had, I was absolutely exhausted and couldn't really do much. And so then we left, we left Austria and went to Italy and France. And I was like, but wait, we didn't get to experience (laughs) Austria. No, I mean, we did. But just like I said, I wanted to do more there because I enjoyed it so much. And so I can't wait to go back to Austria. 
Are you still active on stage, by the way? I meant to ask you that earlier. I haven't done theater in a while. The last play I did was a magical experience, though. It was down at the Old Globe in San Diego. That was the summer of 2008, maybe. I did The Pleasure of His Company, which is an older, like, 50s-style play, and it's set in San Francisco. I got to play this young ingenue who wore beautiful dresses, and I actually got to reunite with a college friend of mine. We went to school together, and he played my love interest. And we got to work with Patrick Page, who is a huge Broadway actor, and is currently on um, Chicago, the second season of Schmigadoon. He played my father. Wow. And Oh my goodness. I just love that entire summer getting to do that play and live in San Diego. It was really fun. And, you know, every time I do a play, because I think before that, my last stage experience had been like, I don't know, almost 10 years ago. And I'm like, why am I not doing plays more often? It's so fun. It's so fun. Every night is different. I love the energy from the audience. It's it's so fun. I need to do another play. I don't know about soon, but I'm definitely going to do another play. <laughs> good, good. Okay. <laughs> I, don't want, I want that to happen. I did a state. I did a reading actually during the pandemic for stage adaption of Persuasion that my friend wrote for the Wayne Theater. And that was so fun. Just getting to do like a Jane Austen role and bring that story to life on a Zoom setting. Like I didn't think going into it, I was like, this is going to be weird. I'm not going to be able to connect with my fellow actors. This is all over Zoom. And then it ended up being a lovely experience because we did connect. I had a, it was a really great experience. So this is something I like to ask everyone because you never know what they're going to say. Have you ever had an experience you would consider supernatural or paranormal? Okay. When you say supernatural, like that kind of has a scary element to it for me. Is no, that it doesn't you... have to be scary. Maybe something you can't explain. So I consider myself a spiritual person. And I lost my dad unexpectedly in 2014. And since his passing, I became very aware of hummingbirds. Like all of a sudden hummingbirds were like all over the place. And then I read that book Signs. And I can't remember the name who the lady who wrote it. But it really stuck out with me about having signs for our loved ones that have passed on that remind us of them, that help us feel connected to them still. And one day I was down, are you familiar with San Diego? I'm not. Okay, there's a beautiful beach called Wind and Sea Beach. I'm down at Wind and Sea Beach with my husband and my niece and were my kids with us? I can't remember if our kids were born. They had to have been born because my son was born after I lost my dad. And I just had a moment alone to, to myself and there's all these really big rocks on the beach and they're kind of tall. And I was in a very like enclosed space and I was walking back from the water through this like very narrow passage of like these big rocks. And all of a sudden a hummingbird comes in and like hovers right in front of my face. You know, hummingbirds, they can hover, but it's usually to get food out of those feeders. Mm -hmm. They don't hover by people. And it literally was right in front of my face. And I looked at it and it still stayed there. It's like, and then, and then I remember saying, hi dad. And then the hummingbird flew away. Wow, that's great. I mean, I'm sure I've had more experiences like that, but that really stuck out to me. I can't explain why a hummingbird would come inside such a small, enclosed space. Like, birds wouldn't swoop. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. How did the hummingbird get in there? I don't have the answer. <laughs> but I believe that was a sign for my dad. And that's why I asked the question, because you, know, you just never know what folks believe or what has happened. Yeah. Well, Aaron, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I don't have much left for you. I'm not going to keep you all evening here. Just to put a bow on everything, is there anything on the horizon for you that you can share without getting in trouble? I don't, I can't get in trouble. <laughs> so, but I will say there are some things in the works for me that I'm really excited about. And hopefully you and everyone else will hear about them soon. 
awesome. And I always say, you know, don't get yourself in trouble because I just got in trouble today because I released an episode yesterday. And uh, Matthew Peretta, I don't know if you know him. He was in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, done a lot of voice acting and such. I probably recognize his face. I mean, I, I grew up watching that movie. He was uh, Will Scarlet, the guy with the knives. Uh, oh, okay. Little John, Little John sidekick. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> was he fun to chat with? Yeah, he was great. But he he's a voice actor for a prominent game that's coming out later this year, and he accidentally dropped the date. And I released the episode immediately. Got a message from the company, and they were like, "Oh my god, no, you got to take this down." But now it's all over the internet. IGN's oh, covered no. it. It's he's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're not in trouble. You didn't yeah, like. Yeah, he's in trouble. I'm not in trouble. <laughs> oh, you're delightful. Like you're like you're a great interviewer. Like you you can't be in trouble. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> I, mean, I do. I do have an episode of Bosch Legacy that should be coming out in the fall, and I can't. I will not get in trouble for saying that because that's on IMDb. So there we go. Don't. There we go. No trouble here. <laughs> I wear a really great, awesome green power suit. I play a DDA, and that was a really fun day of shooting that. <laughs> I kept joking on set. I was like, I feel like a Bosch. <laughs> well, Aaron, like I said, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I, I don't have anything else for you. And, uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And my sister will Thank freak you. out when she learns that I talk to you. Uh, what's your sister's name? <laughs> my sister is Cheyenne and my other sister, Jaden. They both love the movie. Well, Cheyenne and Jaden, it's nice to kind of meet you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Now they're really going to freak out. And, and thanks for being fans. <laughs> there we go. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, hopefully you, we'll Justin. get a chat again down the road. I'd love it. Let's do it. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your evening. You too. All right, bye-bye. Bye, Justin. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Aaron. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon Crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day, all with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.